Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm your host, Mitch Friedman. Ideas have consequences, and every day you're exposed to ideas that promise human flourishing. Our mission here on the Pinocchio Project is to equip you to examine these everyday ideas so that you can determine for yourself whether or not they deliver on their promises. Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. This is your host, Mitch Friedman, joined by Jeff Olson. I'm not using his nickname anymore. It has become a bit of a burden to him. So we will just call him Jeff Olson from this point forward, which is his given name. Or is it Jeffrey? It is Jeffrey. Uh, So today on the Pinocchio Project, and for our next episode, I have a two-parter. Today is part one of what I would say is refilling the vision bucket about what it means to understand the biblical story as you create your biblical worldview. Our goal here on the Pinocchio Project is to examine ideas that promise human flourishing that are now becoming more and more accepted out there in your neighborhood uh, and insisted upon as behavior. Uh, Our goal on the Pinocchio Project is to help you be equipped to examine those ideas through a biblical framework or your biblical worldview to determine whether or not over the long term or the short term, those ideas can actually deliver on their promises. So as a matter of review, as we begin part one of what I've called, as a matter of fact, image is everything. As a matter of review, if you'll remember, are four categories of worldview questions that every image bearer, which is where we'll focus today and next time, Every image bearer, everyone who is human, uh, asks and answers these questions in order to make sense of their world and make sense of their lives. Those four questions go like this, and it's no, no coincidence that these four questions form the four movements of God's grand story, the Bible. So the first question every image bearer asks, what does it mean to be human? Where did I come from? Is there any purpose or design to me? And so that's the first question. It's sort of the origin story. Uh, Is there an originator, a creator, a designer? And where do I fall into the framework of this understanding of what it means to be human? What is expected of me? What are my capabilities? Uh, Question two is uh, an obvious question if you uh, have been reading the paper. What paper is that? Does anybody read the paper anymore? Occasionally. I read the paper. I read the New York Times, USA Today. Uh, I like to see just how ludicrous things are getting uh, in worldview terms. I read it digitally. But if you look around your world and look from inside you, you will see that there's something wrong with this place, and that is the second question. First question, origins, where did I come from? What does it mean to be human? Second question, what in the bleepity bleep is wrong with this place? It's the problems question. What is the problem here? The third category of questions for the worldview constructor, which is everybody, is what can be done to fix what's wrong. If I have an idea, an understanding, a definition, a handle on what's wrong, now I must strive and pursue the remedy. So origins, what does it mean to be human? Problems, what's wrong with this place? Remedy, 
what can be done to fix it? And we also say this is the salvation question. How can I be saved from this problem? And then the fourth question is one of destinations. Where is all this going? Is there a wrapping up? Is there a happily ever after? And if so, what's my part until that time? And so as we begin today, I want to start at the headwaters of worldview construction, and that is the origin story. We, we say a lot here on the Pinocchio Project. Uh, we, 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 re- we reference the image bearers doing this, image bearers doing that, image bearers as being free, image bearers as being enslaved. Uh, we've done some work on the front end of the Pinocchio Project Season 1 in, in examining what it means to be made in the image of God. Uh, but I want to do some more extensive conversation around that, maybe give you some more clarity uh, as to the absolute magnificence of who you are. Now, that's not therapeutic language. That's actually theological language. So image is a word that is thrown around a lot. Uh, I remember uh, back in the day, See, if, I don't know if you're old enough to remember this, Jeff. Remember the Sprite commercial where they ultimately were fighting against all the big advertising of other soda pops, and they finally said, image is nothing, obey your thirst, because Sprite will be the one to slake your thirst. You remember that? And then there was a professional tennis player back in the uh, 80s and 90s, Andre Agassi. Remember him? Uh, He was a pretty boy, a rebel. He was a partier, and uh, he did a commercial uh, for Canon cameras that the, the byline of the commercial was, Image is everything, meaning Canon could do the best uh, job of capturing your image. Uh, This actually uh, went on to haunt Andre Agassi because uh, it became part of his identity that he was just all about image, and there was no substance to his game. And until he finally won a major, he was known as Image Agassi. Uh, So image is typically seen, and it's a dictionary definition as well, uh, image is seen as an external representation of the actual or the original uh, or the authentic. Uh, But when it comes to our conversation about the biblical understanding of what it means to be made in the image of God, uh, image is absolutely not an external expression. It is an entire substance. It is the whole of what every human being has been given and granted in their creation. So in this uh, part one, uh, we're going to talk about the image of God and our privileges, our responsibilities, and our mandates. Uh, but I'm going to do a little bit of a, of a different thing uh, as we move forward. So the, this, this primary language in your biblical narrative in Genesis 1 and followed into Genesis 2, and actually we see it, the image of God again appear uh, in several places in Genesis. But if you, if you know your creation story in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, God has created out of nothing tohu vavohu, formless and void, he is creating everything. So he is the original creator, and uh, he, he creates literally uh, out of nothing. His raw material is being created, as is the formation of that raw material. And as we get to the sixth day of creation, uh, we see that the first half, roughly the first half of the sixth day in description is God creating the creatures that move along the ground. And then he comes to his uh, masterpiece, his masterwork, the crown gem of his creation. And that's you and I. In chapter uh, 1, verse 26, on the sixth day of creation, God said, 
Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. So you, you see this, this word image appear over and over again, and in Oriental or Semitic languages, the, the repetition of, of either a noun or a concept is something that we pay particular attention to. Verse 27 again, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And here comes the first distinction, male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So this is the baseline. This is the headwaters of what it means to be human, uh, what it means to be made in God's image, uh, the distinctives and purposes of being made in God's image, and then the blessing that God applies to his crown jewel so that they can be his representatives uh, on this earth that he has created. So from that platform, we develop our, our theology and our application for what it means to be human. Uh, so the question again from our origin story is, what does it mean to be made in God's image? And what are the implications of being made in God's image? What I'd like to do is maybe first start with a discussion that we really haven't had before on the Pinocchio Project about uh, what it means to be human and what does it mean to be made in God's image and what are the implications of being made in God's image. I want to start with, what does it not mean to be made in God's image? Because there's, there, there's been a lot of confusion really over the centuries and rooted in the original context in the ancient Near East. As this story was written down, mostly transferred to Moses uh, from the Spirit of God and then introduced to not Adam and Eve, our first parents. They never read this story. Uh, this, this story was first uh, read by and made available to uh, the Hebrew children who were at that time in slavery in Egypt uh, and under a different worldview. This brand new worldview that's being introduced in Genesis 1 and 2 uh, is something that's absolutely foreign to them. Uh, so uh, s several sort of, I would call, derivatives in error developed in the ancient Near East, and some of them carry forward today. Uh, but let's look first at what it, does, what it doesn't mean to be made in the image of God. The image of God is not about seeing God as a human being, uh, which is something that's not really clear to a lot of Christ followers uh, or even those devoted uh, to God in the, uh, the Jewish faith. It's not about seeing God as a human being or a God who looks human. As a matter of fact, the image of God is not a statement or description of God at all. Again, it's a description of human beings. Uh, the image of God is not about human beings having a body like God's. Now, if you look throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew text, and even Jesus saying, uh, as he looks over Jerusalem in the Gospels, uh, you see what we call anthropomorphisms. And that, that's a statement of ascribing to God in metaphor language uh, human attributes or animal attributes. Uh, for example, in, in the Hebrew text, 
God, God shelters his people Israel under his wings, and God's eye roams to and fro throughout the earth uh, to find a righteous man. Uh, but these, these are not actual, literal, concrete statements about God having a body. So the image of God is not about human beings have a bo- having a body like God's, because as we see uh, also in John chapter 4, verse 24, when Jesus is talking to the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, uh, she's confused about where to properly worship God, whether they're on her Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem, where the Jews do. Jesus kind of frames the question differently, and he answers that the place is not physical where it's necessary to worship God because God is not physical. What's, what's necessary is to worship God in spirit and truth because God is spirit. So the, the implication there is that, that God is a spirit, and, and Paul says, says this too in his letters. So the image of God is not about seeing God as a human being or a God who looks human, and it's not about human beings having a body like God's. It's also, uh, finally, and there's a lot we could say here, but I'm just going to leave it at this third point. It's not about the establishment uh, or the embrace of an idol or a false image or a picture or a construct. Uh, Remember, I talked about the definition of image on the front end of the episode that is typically understood to be an external expression of the original or the authentic. But being made in the image of God, uh, being human, does not mean that we are now establishing human beings as idols or a false image or an external picture or construct. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. So now uh, we're just going to do a broad uh, closing to this first episode and just a sort of a general high-level view. And we have to understand that context is key when, when these uh, expressions of origin in Genesis 1 and 2 uh, were written and then introduced to an audience. The audience was the enslaved Hebrew children enslaved to Egypt. And they had their own theology that Egypt forced upon them, and they probably didn't know much better any alternatives. And that, that theology was uh, a, a litany of gods who were responsible for different segments and parts of the human experience and the management of the cosmos or the universe. And they had an Egyptian cosmology, which was is a cosmology means an understanding of, of the origins of the universe. And they had their own anthropology, uh, which is, a, is another way to say, what does it mean to be human? And their anthropology at that time in the ancient Near East was that whoever had power, whoever had military might, whoever had rulership, uh, whoever was the monarch, uh, those were the elevated people of greater value uh, than everybody else, especially those who have been enslaved uh, from other ethnicities or other races. So the Hebrews saw themselves in this framework of theology and cosmology as human beings who had little value. So this is a brand new expression. And so from the ancient Near Eastern understanding, the Hebrew children as first readers uh, found this, this compelling new phrase in Genesis 1 and continuing into Genesis 2 about what it means to be human. It is, it is a brand new, beautifully freeing and compelling, as I've said, uh, understanding of what it means to be human. This, instead of, uh, for their purposes, as enslaved Hebrews, being human meant just being a tool uh, for the utilitarian 
masters that were holding sway over you in power. The new answer, the new definition, the new compulsion, uh, the new motivation, uh, the new masterpiece language was what it means to be human is to be one who exists as a royal authority. That's, that's literally a way to synthesize and summarize what we see in Genesis 1. So as we move to the end of this episode, I want you to remember that in a biblical worldview, who you are is one who exists with a royal authority, a royal commission. You are a co-regent with specific attributes and responsibilities. So be sure to tune into part two of this two-part series on the image of God uh, for our next drop in the podcast. And speaking of the next season of Podcast Life, uh, we are pleased to announce a YouTube component coming down the pike for the Pinocchio Project. Season three, we will expand our audio to a video presentation, which will allow you to see your host, Mitch Friedman, uh, as he fumbles around with properly executing all the aspects of putting the show together from a presentation standpoint. And you'll also be able to see the excellence of Jeff Olson, our sound engineer, as he masterfully produces this program. Until next time, Mitch Friedman signing off. Thanks so much for being with us on the Pinocchio Project today. If this podcast has value for you, please subscribe or follow. Give us a five-star rating and share. If you have an everyday idea you'd like to submit for us to examine, simply email us at pinocchioprojectpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at pinocchiopod, or you can hit the links in the show notes below. Thanks again for listening, and remember, your everyday ideas have significant consequences.